Hey, what's up? Sean here with another episode of Locked on Raptors, and we have lots to talk about today from a very satisfying win in Boston on Friday night, a disappointing but still somewhat encouraging game against the Mavericks on Saturday, and a whole lot of Scotty Barnes. We're going to get into my takeaways from the two games over the weekend as the Raptors prepare to take on the Bulls on Monday night. That's all coming up on today's show. Oh, because like, when I shot, I expected to make it, so like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked on Raptors. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Canada, the NBA title is yours. We're going to the first of the Hail Mary 3 by Mopey. Get that garbage out of here. Welcome to episode number 1042 of Locked on Raptors for Monday, October the 25th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. You can find Locked on Raptors free on all of your favorite podcast platforms, as well as on YouTube. So please, subscribe. And again, it's for the low, low price of On the House, which you love. There's no paywalls, no nothing. Please uh, support the show in any way you can. It's very much appreciated. And thank you for making us your first listen of the day. And we have a lot to get to on today's episode of the podcast. The Toronto Raptors went 1-1 one one over the weekend, a huge one 115-83 win over the Celtics on Friday, which was truly delightful in just about every single way. And then a, a little bit of a letdown in the second half against the Mavericks after a pretty encouraging start against Luka Doncic on Saturday. And we're going to dig into my biggest takeaways from those two games. Scotty Barnes is going to feature heavily. Actually, Gary Trent Jr. is as well. And I'm going to talk about the bench unit, which is not looking so hot, but I'm not really sounding any alarm bells just yet. We'll get to that in the back part of the show, but we should start with my first takeaway of the weekend, and that is, of course, Scotty Barnes, man. Scotty Barnes is freaking great. He had 25 points and 13 boards on the Friday night game against the Boston Celtics. Uh, had two assists in that one as well. 11 of 17 from the field was doing it all from pull-ups in the half court. Transition, like transition, just like gorgeous, graceful baskets. Really, really great stuff from Scotty Barnes against the uh, Celtics. And he was pretty damn good against the Mavericks as well, even though the Raptors lost. And really, the big takeaway for me from this weekend is that Scotty Barnes is already like a top four most important player on this Toronto Raptors team. He is right in the mix with OG Ananobi, Fred Van Vliet, and then when he gets back, Pascal Siakam in terms of importance to this roster. And I think it's essential that the Raptors kind of treat him like that going forward here this season. He is... Such a good defensive player. He takes the burden off of the other great defensive players on the Raptors, so they're not all, you know, sort of forced to take on these extra burdens. There's a lot, there's that sort of switchability you get, of course, when Scotty Barnes is out there as well. He's really good. And then on offense, he just kind of calms things down. You know, he's this sort of strange, erratic player in a lot of ways because he's not much of a shooter. Sometimes he gets a little bit over gregarious with his passing attempts and he'll throw it away. But for the most part, he's just a calming presence for the Raptors in the half court and I really think the Raptors need him out there as a sort of stabilizer because of all the sort of weird erratic dudes they are throwing it on the floor around him you know I think what's really nice with this Scotty Barnes situation is that 
you know, if you consider him as one of the four best players on the team, which, you know, I guess there's the distinction to be made between best and most important. I'm saying most important. I think he's probably also a top four player on this Raptors team, just in terms of general utility. You know, I talked earlier in the preseason and leading into the year that, you know, I think Scotty Barnes very much has it in him to compete, or sorry, not compete, to contribute at a very high level this season in a role player fashion. And if he was just doing that, you might consider him the fourth most important player on this team. But in fact, he's doing star stuff already. It's been three games and Scotty Barnes is already doing stuff that's making you really, really excited at what could be down the line for him when he's played more than just three NBA games on a team that has been missing its best player in all three games. You know, I think... Really, the takeaway, once again, is that Scotty Barnes should be playing more than 30 minutes a game. I think even when Pascal Siakam gets back, maybe they have to reshake up the lineups in order to just sort of satiate all the egos. But if Scotty Barnes is put on the bench once Pascal returns, which I don't think is necessarily a sure thing, I think they're going to find a way to start him probably because he's one of their four best players. But if he has to go to the bench, I still think you got to bring him in early. you got to bring him in often. You have to play him north of 30 minutes a game. I don't say that about anyone outside of Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, and OG Ananobi on this roster. And Scotty Barnes has already earned that sort of level of trust and belief. Look, there are going to be growing pains. He's 20 years old, and there are going to be games where he doesn't shoot so well, where those pit, you know pull-up mid-range jumpers aren't falling, where they look clunky, where the you know the broken jump shot, quote-unquote, comes back up to roost. But I think it's going to be pretty few and far between in games where Scotty Barnes is not doing something tangibly effective. And I think the game against the Mavericks in the second half really kind of proved the importance of Scotty Barnes and also OG Ananobi, who of course got into foul trouble as well. But those guys getting in foul trouble and having to go off the floor in that third quarter really, really left the Raptors without much juice to hang around with the Mavericks. They made it close. You know, they did their fake comeback thing late in the game as they want to do. You know, they, I, I think, really sort of you know, they, they did their best in this, considering the circumstances with no Pascal and OG and, and Scotty Barnes in foul trouble, but those two not being on the floor obviously cut into the defensive potency they had to throw at Luka Doncic. They were going in just insane rotation the entire game because they just had to throw two bodies his way in that second half. You know, in the first half, there was a little bit more where you could just kind of stick one guy on Doncic and hopefully that would get the job done. He's Luka Doncic, so it's not exactly that easy and sometimes he's going to get his anyway. But when you don't have Barnes and Ananobi out there, it becomes that much more difficult. There's that fewer, that many fewer long and limber dudes to cover all the ground you have to cover against that Mavericks team when you are throwing two bodies at Luka Doncic. And it's not just the defensive side of things as well, right? You know, Scotty Barnes on offense, obviously he's key to their transition game already. When he has the ball in his hands, I just have like the utmost trust that something good is going to happen when Scotty Barnes has the ball on the run, whether he's going in with one of his sort of graceful, you know, Eurostep type finishes, or he's finding another guy on the run. There's been a couple turnovers here and there, but not a whole lot. It really just feels like he sees the entire floor in transition so, so well, and it translates into pretty good offensive possessions for the Raptors when they're on the run. And then in the half court, obviously, the fact that he's just such a good passer, the fact that he has such good feel, the fact that he can get the ball like he did in the fourth quarter off a, a screen and come downhill and just yam on a dude with two hands, it's all just stuff that helps grease the wheels for the Raptors offense. So yeah, Scotty Barnes is 20 years old. He's three games in. You don't want to heap too much onto a guy, but it's staggering how just comfortable that guy looks right now. And I, I don't really 
want to see a world where the Raptors aren't playing him alongside their best players. And the beautiful thing is that when, you know, Pascal Siakam gets back, they can roll out a lineup where they're not ever playing less than two of Ananobi, Van Vliet, Siakam, and Barnes, and they can pair them up. You think about how they did that last year, when, or, or the year before even, where they would kind of pair up their, their tandems to ensure that there was always someone on the floor. We've seen a lot of five-man bench lineups, four-man and one starter bench lineups for the Raptors so far this season. Once they get Siakam back, there's going to be no need to run with those heavy reserve crews, which is only going to help to support the bench. I think... Just thinking about how the pairings work in my head, the Fred Van Vliet OG pairing seems to work pretty well for me. Uh, you know, last year we saw the Lowry OG tandem and then the Fred Pascal tandem work quite nicely. You know, maybe you could do the Fred Pascal thing and have Scotty Barnes and OG run the show for you as well as your two starters. But I also kind of like the idea of the sort of dynamism you'll get having Siakam and Barnes play together and the, just the defensive, in, like, just imposing length and meanness you'll get from those two. Obviously, you know, you throw OG in that mix, it's even better. But if you are mixing those guys up, I think the Siakam-Barnes pairing and then the Van Vliet-OG pairing to kind of stagger into those in-between lineups is the way to go. It's a great luxury to have. And I think, you know, it's it probably sounds insane three games into the season to be saying Scotty Barnes is this important to the Raptors. But he is. I don't know how else you can put it. We've seen it through three games. Maybe things will tail off. Maybe this is just a hot start or whatever it is, but he does things so well and so comfortably. Even without having that sort of refined jump shot or the sort of half-court game, he still does so many things so well. The rebounding's been outstanding. He's so crucial to their offensive rebounding game, which of course is crucial to their variability to score because they're a team that does not have a ton in the way of half-court juice, so those offensive boards are, are, are just enormous. And Scotty Barnes is great at them. Nick Nurse spoke about his just nose for being around the rim and getting those putbacks. It's just a really remarkable thing that we've seen this guy kind of excel at these things that usually take a long time for guys to learn and to master. These sort of in-between pockets, the stuff that's not so sexy. Scotty Barnes is already so good at it that I don't think you can play him less than 30 minutes a game. And that is a pretty awesome thing to feel and think about your fourth overall pick three games into his career. So Scotty Barnes, top four Raptor, I think it's already happening, and it's pretty damn cool. And that is my first takeaway from the first game. I got a lot more to get to coming up in the rest of the show. Of course, we're going to talk about Gary Trent Jr., who had himself a really nice weekend and you know didn't have a great shooting game against the Mavericks, but did a lot of really good things that have me feeling pretty sure about what I think his role in this team should be going forward. And then I want to talk about the bench, which has been quite bad. Nick Nurse had some words to say, particularly about Chris Boucher. We'll play that clip in the back part of the show as well. But before we get to all that, I want to tell you about prize picks which is daily fantasy made easy i love it and i know you're gonna love it too prize picks has the best nba dfs prop game on the market and it offers more nba props than any other dfs prop operator and offers all the superstar players as well as bench players only recording a handful of minutes each game prize picks uh, offers any prop you can think of from yardage to touchdowns to points scored to blocks whatever it is even interceptions thrown if you're a football person all of our their users that deposit 
and use the promo code NBA will get a 100% instant deposit match up to 100 bucks. If you put in 100 bucks, you get 200 bucks to play with on prize picks. That is great. You pick two to five players and an over under on their projections, projections, and you can win up to 10 times on any entry. And it's just you versus the projected numbers. There's no opponent you're dealing with, no like crazy DFS shark on the other on the other side who has all the details and has been spending the entire day crafting the lineup. It's just you versus the project projections prize picks also allows you to have mixed sport entries so you can take the over on LeBron combined with the under on Mahomes in the same entry you should have taken the under on Mahomes on Sunday he was not quite very good against my Tennessee Titans use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play entries can be made in 60 seconds or less it's that easy prize picks is safe and offers fast withdrawals as well so don't hesitate check out prizepicks.com and use the promo code NBA and go to your App Store to download the app today that's prize picks it is daily fantasy made easy and today's show is also brought to you by direct tv stream you know the problem we have too many devices too many streaming services it's all over the place well guess what direct tv stream is here to help you get your tv together it brings your live tv and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports movies and shows all in one place you can go from watching sunday night football over to watching succession very easily and it's no problem because it's all there on direct tv stream that means no more juggling remotes no need to buy another device ever again and the best part is there's no annual contract so get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your tv together with direct tv stream you can learn more at directtv.com that's directtv.com compatible device required content varies by package and please note this is only available to our lovely listeners in the united states of america all right, let's continue on here on today's episode of Locked on Raptors. Uh, again, thank you for making us your first listen of the day. And let's continue on with my takeaways from the weekend. Scotty Barnes takes the show in the first segment. And now we're going to talk about Gary Trent Jr., who I think was kind of the secretly quiet star of the weekend for the Raptors. You know, we saw lots of nice things take place. OG Ananobi finally having a good game, at least a good first half before foul trouble hit against the uh, Dallas Mavericks, scoring 20 points right out of the gate. That was a blast. Fred Van Vliet had a really nice game on Saturday as well, and a lovely playmaking game on Friday. Lots of good positive signs. But for me, one of the most important you know, the developments over the weekend was that Gary Trent Jr. not only played well, but he got moved into the starting lineup. And I think this is the place that Gary Trent Jr. should be going forward, barring, you know, some sort of Scotty Barnes related change where they're going super big and they're you're bringing in a center. Honestly, you know, just to kind of go back to the Scotty Barnes staying in the starting lineup point when Pascal gets back. For all I care, start Van Vliet, Trent, and then OG, Pascal, Barnes. Have Barnes be your nominal center. Small ball works, I'm sorry to say, but last year's small ball version of the team was excellent. This would just be a bigger version of that. I don't know why they wouldn't just, you know, lean into that. I know there's other bigs to get minutes to and all that stuff, but I just think that might just be the best lineup this team has, period. Either way, Gary Trent Jr., for now at least, we can reevaluate when Siakam comes back belongs in the starting five. And there's a few reasons for that. I think, number one, his shooting is very valuable, even though he hasn't quite found the three-point stroke just yet. He was just two of six last night against the Celtics. Two of six, sorry, two of six in both games against the Celtics Mavericks. Uh, I'm recording this on Sunday night, by the way, so I apologize for the strange chronology. Either way, uh, just, I guess, four of 12 over the weekend. He's not shooting it terribly well out of the gate from three-point range and had a pretty rough two-point shooting game as well against the Mavericks, going just three of 14 on the entire game. So one of eight, if my math is quick, quick, correct on the two-point shots in that game against the Mavericks. 
that's fine. I, I think the process for Gary Trent Jr. has been really, really nice. And I think that is what matters to me more than anything else. He got a little bit shot happy, I suppose, in a couple of those instances against the Mavericks. But for the most part, he's been playing within himself. And he's also been getting to the basket, which is an element I didn't think he had to his game. There seems to be like a tangible extra burst to his first step right now. He's getting by guys. He's getting to the rim. He has his little scoop shots, those little you know lanes and whatnot. That's been really cool to see. And that in concert with the little mid-range game that we know he has makes him a pretty dynamic sort of secondary tertiary option in your offense. I also think he's less likely to kind of freelance at this point. You know, obviously he always kind of run, runs the risk of being a heat check guy, but I do think the sort of freelancing nature that you see with a lot of the guys on the Raptors team, including Precious Achua, who's in that starting five right now. You see it from Goran Dragic, of course. Sometimes he's just going to take over possession because he feels like he can, because he's Goran Dragic. You see it from Chris Boucher sometimes even as well. I think there's almost something to the idea of a guy who is not that adventurous. And I think Gary Trent Jr., while he's kind of had dalliances with being overly adventurous at times, I think playing within the constructs of the Raptors starting five, where you've got Van Vliet, you've got Barnes, you've got Ananobi, you've got Precious, all of whom are happy to put the ball on the deck and make a play. I think having Trent just kind of hover around that and rotate around that looking for open looks, that to me makes a lot of sense. I found in the first game when Dragic started in that two-guard spot, there were too many guys who could make something happen with the ball. And I know it sounds stupid. That sounds like a really silly thing. But there was no direction to the Raptors' offense because one possession, Precious Achua's running it. Another possession, OG's running it. There didn't seem to be much direction or flow to anything. And I almost wonder if it's like a too-many-cooks thing where five guys who can make something happen almost make it so like, which guy is going to make the thing happen? Let's all point at each other until somebody does it. Whereas if you throw Trent in there, that takes one of those elements out. And as Nick Nurse talked about, it also gives the Raptors a legitimate backup point guard right now. Malachi Flynn does not seem to be in the current plans for the team. And I think that will change at some point. You know, Goran Dragic is probably not going to be on the team all season long. Malachi Flynn will have his moments. There will be injuries. That's going to happen. But for now, Goran Dragic being your go-to backup guard, you throw him in there with Svima Hailuk, who has been kind of on and off. I think he had a good game on Friday, a little bit, you know, suspect last night, along with the entirety of the Raptors bench. You know, he was fine. I, I don't know. I, I don't really have strong opinions on Svi at this moment. I'm very apathetic towards anything Svi has done so far this season. But either way, you throw Dragic Svi in there. Hopefully when Yuta Watanabe gets back, he becomes an option for you as well with some extra shooting. And then you got Boucher and Birch, I, which I think in theory is a pretty good tandem. And I think that lineup makes a lot of sense. If you throw in, for example, in the place of Yuta, you throw in an OG and an Obi. Hell, you throw in an OG and a Barnes and you swap out, uh, you know, Boucher or Birch, whatever you want to do. I think that becomes a pretty workable second unit slash in-between type lineup because you have Goran Dragic as your just go-to regular point guard. And again, you're just kind of balance things out, bouncing things out a little bit. We talked about this a little bit on Friday's podcast, I think with Katie, where we were sort of going over the difficulty in finding balance in this Raptors team and how you have these sort of very crazy erratic players and these very kind of chill, you know, guys who are more stabilizer types on the roster. And how do you sort of mix and match those guys to make your lineups kind of make sense and have balance and have proper floor spacing and geometry and all of that? And I just think Gary Tran Jr. fits with those starters quite nicely right now. Obviously, you know, the three-point shot has not been there so far, but it's going to come. He's been a 40% three-point shooter for the better part of his career. I don't see that going away just overnight. And I think 
in theory, the looks he's going to get with that starting five should be pretty damn good. He's going to be a beneficiary of the extra attention paid towards OG. He's going to be a benefactor when they run, you know, Fred Scotty pick and rolls or Fred Precious pick and rolls, and they're spreading the floor around that. I think there's a lot for Gary Trent Jr. to capitalize on. And the fact that he's also proven to be a pretty good cutter, I think works really nicely, particularly with OG Ananobi and Scotty Barnes, who are both guys who are very good at finding cutters. There's lots, there's a lot of ways for Gary Trent Jr. to be a really effective, you know, fourth or fifth option in that starting five and really kind of make those lineups sing. We haven't seen, obviously, the offense hit any sort of great heights or anything like that so far. Most of the success for the team has been driven off of the defense and getting stuff in transition and just like keeping teams to 46 points and a half. And that's going to help out when your offense is kind of sticky. But I do think that Trent in that second, in that first unit makes a lot of sense. He just fits in there really, really well. And, you know, I think there's nothing wrong with, you know, having Dragic kind of run that second lineup. And obviously there's egos at play and stuff. Maybe Dragic figures, you know, he wants to be a starter. He's been around for forever. He's 35. He's a longtime vet. I don't think that's really that much of a concern, honestly. I think just kind of throwing him in there, making him look good with second unit guys will help. And look, the second unit has not looked good so far. And we were going to get to that in a second because... There's, I think, a little bit of concern creeping in. Maybe is oh no, was this like last year where there were six or seven effective players on the team and everyone else was kind of you know pissing away points every time they were on the floor? I don't think that's quite the case. And honestly, I think the move for Dragic to the bench is part of the reason why I'm feeling pretty okay about about that, despite how poor he played, poorly he played against the Mavericks on uh, on Saturday night. But we'll get to that in a second here. I want to first tell you about our friends over at. Uh, who are we talking about right now? We are talking about our pals over at Built Bar. And boy, do I love Built Bar. I had a Built Bar this morning, actually. I went for a bike ride, and I had the blueberry muffin special flavor that is in right now. And it is so, so good. I can't tell you enough. If it's on the site when you go to visit right now, pick up the blueberry muffin. Get many boxes, because it's not going to last forever, much like most of their limited-time flavors, unless they become so popular they just add them to their regular lineup. But either way... They're delicious. They are the best tasting protein bar on the market. They taste like a candy bar. They fill that gap the way a candy bar does, and you're not getting all the bad stuff that you get from a candy bar. They have a lot of wonderful flavors. Like I said, they got nine staple flavors. You can get a mixed box. You get two of each of the nine. Test them out. See which one you like the most, or you can get one of their limited time flavors. Blueberry muffin is the uh, flavor du jour right now, and boy, it is one of my favorites of all time. There's little blueberries in there, little pops of heaven, little blueberries. How do you not love blueberries? Either way... You can go and check out their macros. They're all very good. 17 to 18 grams of protein, calories ranging from 130 to 180, only 4 or 5 grams of sugar, and 4 or 5 grams of net carbs. Great flavors, all tasty, all good for you. And they are the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team. They're really fast. I think it's because of the Built Bars. Either way, go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off your order. That's the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. And today's show was brought to you by our dear friends over at rockauto.com, who I can't tell you how many times they have saved me money on my car. I'm terrified of the mechanic because I know nothing about cars. When I go, I know I meet to them. They're looking at me just like, hi, this thing on my car is broken. Can you fix it for me? And they will say yes, and it's going to cost you this much. And I am sad because it's too much money. Well, not anymore because I just get the parts I need from rockauto.com and get my father-in-law to put them in. Yes, I'm an embarrassing person. Either way, I'm saving money. So who's the embarrassing one now? Rockauto.com is a family business. They've been serving auto auto parts customers for 20 years online 
and their prices are reliably low for every customer, whether you're a professional or you're a do-it-yourselfer. You, uh, of course, can get everything you need there, from the brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpets, the important stuff to the aesthetic stuff and everything in between. And you can go and explore their easy-to-use website today and find the solution to your auto part needs. It is such an easy website to use, folks. It is so easy that I can use it. Therefore, you can use it. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on their How'd You Hear About Us box. And they'll be sent you as well. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the car parts you will ever need at rockauto.com. All right, let's continue on here and round out the show with my final takeaway from the weekend of games against the Celtics and the Mavericks. By the way, just a really fun weekend having games back. I know the Mavericks game didn't end so hot. The foul trouble was annoying. There seemed to be far too many fouls called against the Raptors, period, and their defense kind of got exhausted as the game went on, and maybe you saw the limits just a little bit of how their defense can kind of hold up over the course of 48 minutes. But I do think there will be improvements in how that holds up if the bench stops playing like butt. And the bench was playing like butt for the most uh, uh, most part of the Mavericks game on Saturday. And I don't think that's going to be the case for, you know, the rest of time or anything like that. I think it was just, uh, there, there's some growing pains going on with that second unit right now. But I think there's reason to be hopeful that things can turn around with that second unit. Number one, I think, like I said, the Goran Dragic move to that second unit, I think, is going to be super valuable. I think having just that sort of adult in the room, that guy who has been running offenses for 13 years or whatever it is, that's going to be helpful with some of the guys you have in that second unit, namely Chris Boucher, who is kind of erratic and all over the place and maybe could use a little bit of structure in his life. Um, you know, you throw in like a Yuta Watanabe as well. He's a very sort of energetic, frenetic type player, a little bit more controlled on offense than Boucher is. But still, you know, I think having a guy like Dragic out there when Yuta's back, it's going to be a nice pairing. Svi has been a little bit emboldened to do some things as well this year. I think I'd prefer him just kind of being the benefactor of pick and rolls and not doing a ton, honestly. I've been not terribly impressed with when he's put the ball on the deck in the regular season after looking very good at it in the preseason. So I just, again, I think the Dragic move there long-term is going to be very, very helpful. I also, like I said, I think the second unit's going to be boosted by the fact that once Pascal gets back, there's never going to have to be fewer than two of those main four guys on the floor at any time. That's going to help things along. That's going to make it so, yeah, there's going to be some fights for minutes and maybe some jobs lost and things like that, but that's not ever, never a bad thing. There's lots of guys at the same position across the board on this team. Competition never hurt anybody, and I think that sort of extra juice fighting for those spots and those bench units Plus the fact that you're going to be able to stagger more effectively with, you know, more than just one starter on the floor is really going to help move things along. You're also going to see Kem Birch kind of get up to speed. You know, he looked really good in that first game against the Wizards, especially in the second half, but he looks like he's walking in mud right now. And I noticed that even in that Wizards game, when they were making that fun comeback in the fourth, he looked like he was absolutely dying out there while he was giving everything to that fake comeback. I think he's going to gain his conditioning here. This was his first back-to-back, of course, after recovering from COVID. Not surprised he looked pretty winded and gassed and not terribly effective against the Mavericks either. And then, you know, I just think Chris Boucher will turn it around to be an effective regular season bench player. I've long thought that he's maybe not going to be a terribly effective postseason player if and when he becomes a rotation piece in a postseason series. I have my doubts there. But we saw last season, he can absolutely be an effective regular season player. He doesn't need to do a whole lot to be effective. He just needs to kind of have that green light, fire away the threes when he has them, block some shots with some pizzazz, and that's kind of all you need. 
I think he's capable of that. He is not the player we've seen over these last couple of games, even though I am typically lower on Chris Boucher than a lot of people. You know, I thought he was just fine in that game against the Celtics, even though he was just one of six, didn't shoot terribly well. I thought he was pretty active on the glass. I thought he was mostly a, a positive contributor when he played, even kind of got the ball and ran in transition and got the offense flowing from his fingertips as well, which kind of a new wrinkle with him. The Mavericks game was rough, and we heard Nick Nurse talk after the game. He was asked about Chris Boucher and the up-and-down nature of his play. Let's tune in to Nick Nurse and what he had to say about Chris Boucher last night. Still too much up-and-down from Chris. I didn't see any up. Yeah, he needs to he needs to start playing better, period. Well, that was blunt. Uh <laughs> So, yeah, Chris Boucher, not so hot last night, not one of Nick Nurse's favorite players in last night's game, but Nick Nurse has called dudes out like this before. He has not been shy to do this in the past. I believe Chris Boucher has been the subject of said call-outs in the past, and usually things kind of rebound after he kind of gives somebody the Nick Nurse treatment. I would bet that Chris Boucher will have a just-fine game against the not-at-all-defensively-stout uh, Chicago Bulls on, on Monday night, so maybe that's a way for him to kind of get back, back on track here. I just think, you know, now that we've kind of figured out the starting lineup thing, I would hope that Gary Trent Jr. has, you know, solidified himself as the starting two going forward, at least until Siakam's back. With that, I think there's just a chance here for the second unit to get its legs under it, to kind of find its niche, to find its you know, who plays well with who, you know, find the regular sets they can go to. It doesn't take a lot for a second unit to really congeal, you know, three, four, five games, and you know, you might be off and running. You have that chemistry. You're playing second units. Like there, there should be more to be gleaned from the Raptors bench. And it's absolutely going to be necessary, we should say, about the Raptors bench. Like, they're going to have to turn this thing around. They're going to have to be a lot better because the Raptors' style of play necessitates having lots of guys you can throw out there, lots of bodies who can soak up minutes, lots of guys who can be energetic and play balls to the wall for the entirety of the time they're up there. We saw in that game last night when Barnes and Ananobi went out and no one on the bench was really kind of you know pulling their weight. There just was too many holes in the Raptors roster. Too many guys were exhausted from what they had been doing throughout the game. And it just led to Luka Doncic finally kind of finding those holes, softening up the buttery Raptors defense from the hard brick it was in the first half and doing Luka Doncic things. And, you know, look, not every team has a Luka Doncic and sometimes playing at 75% of full Raptors capacity is going to be enough. It's not going to be enough against Luka Doncic. It's not going to be enough against the best players in the league. And you need to have that sort of 10, 11, sometimes even 12-man rotation of guys who are ready to come in. And they're not going to go 12 guys every night, but having a 12th guy that you can throw in there for a six-minute burst of energy is going to be important for this team. But you shouldn't be going to Delano Banton you know, in place of Chris Boucher, or for example, I know we all love Delano Banton here, but he basically got Boucher's minutes in the second half because Boucher was so bad in the first half going 0 for 5, just played eight minutes in the game, was an absolute nightmare when he was on the floor. You know, they went to Banton as a result of that. And I just don't think you can, A, trust, you can't put that on Banton. He's a second round rookie. There's a lot kind of hinged on this guy in terms of hope and expectation. It's almost unfair to throw him into a situation like that and say, yeah, go stop Luka Doncic. He did it okay. He did it fine. He made a couple nice plays. He got in his face once, I think, and forced a really bad miss. That was great, but that's a lot to put on a guy. You need your first 10 guys to be 
sort of on a string and playing well. And, and, you know, otherwise you're going to see that sort of late game sagging of the defense. And, you know, when the defense is sagging, the offense is having a much harder time getting into its stuff because it's playing in the half court. And as bad as Chris Stapp's Porzingis is, it's, uh, you know, it's hard to carve up an NBA level defense when you are the Raptors. I don't know. Like they got they need to have some baked in advantages in the form of getting the ball on the run and forcing stops. And when they're not forcing stops, they just kind of uh, cut themselves off the head, honestly. And so, yeah, the Boucher stuff, like, I, I'm not terribly concerned. I think he will turn it around. He was really good last season. He was a wonderfully effective bench player in a smaller role the year before. I don't think Chris Boucher is broken. It's three games, but they are going to need him back and they are going to need that entire second unit to be pulling its weight because of the entirely too daunting style of defense the Raptors want to play sometimes. You just got to have the bodies. They're going to foul a lot as well. That's the other thing. Like it's not an anomaly that OG and, and Barnes picked up that many fouls. They're going to foul a lot. That's the way they play defense. You have to have guys who are ready to come in and fill in those minutes when guys soak up foul trouble. And in a game where Barnes and Ananobi are in foul trouble, the guy you need to have a crazy, off-the-bench, wonderful performance is Chris Boucher. We didn't see that last night, and it very well could have been the difference between the Raptors winning and losing. That's going to do it for me. I think I'm going to wrap the show there. Thank you so much for tuning in. Those were my, this is my takeaways from the weekend. You know, we didn't have to dive, dive specifically into the breakdown of the game or anything like that because that's been done to death and we will do that to death on plenty of other games. But when they kind of bunch together on the weekend like that, I feel like this is a better sort of format for a, for a show anyway. Either way, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, please subscribe to, rate, review, tell a friend about the podcast. You can subscribe on YouTube as well. That's always very appreciated. We are now well past 1,000 subscribers, which is so, so cool. And uh, we would love to keep adding to that number. So please do it. We'll be back again tomorrow. We're going to talk with Yasmin Dewala from Yahoo Sports, basketball news all over the place. She's going to be on the podcast, and we're going to break down the game against the Chicago Bulls. Later in the week, of course, we're going to break down that game against the Pacers on Wednesday. We'll have Vivek probably on Wednesday morning to tee that game up. And Tony East from Locked On Pacers, one of my faves on the entire network, is going to pop in this week as the Raptors play the Pacers both on Wednesday and Saturday this week. So that'll be fun as well. All that to look forward to in the week ahead. If you haven't yet, go back and listen to some of the fun recent episodes, too, with Alan Shane Lewis and Ann Pornell, for example, from last Wednesday from the Great Canadian Baking Show. Also, Herbie Kuhn from a couple weeks ago when he was on to talk about returning to the PA mic at Scotiabank Arena. That was a very fun episode, too. Anyway, that's going to do it. Thank you so much. We will talk to you on Tuesday with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.